thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. How many is glad of God's Word? All right, let's try it again. Let's open your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. All right, awesome. Oh yeah, I like it. Let's do it again, because you guys are really good. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. All right, good. All right, open them up. We're going to be reading in verse 9, starting in verse 9, reading through to verse 14. Mainly we're going to be starting in verse 10. This is such a remarkable passage that Jesus is speaking. He's telling a story. He's, he's surrounding himself with some great people, some good, some not so great, actually. And we begin Luke 18, verse 9. To some who were confident in their righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this, this parable. Actually, translation means he's about to put you in a headlock. That's what that means. He's about to mess your world up. That's, that's the, the, the new Jason version translation there. So it says this, two men went up to the temple. So this is the story he begins to tell. Parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One is a Pharisee and the other is a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. Wasn't that nice of himself to pray about himself? Anyway, it's just funny. God said, or God, this is what he said, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like that tax collector over there. You know, God, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth as if God didn't know that. You know, it's just interesting. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Very interesting, this passage. I want us to pray that God would speak to us from his word. Father, this is your word. It is powerful. It is alive. It is perfect. It cannot be added to or taken away from because it's perfect. And so we look at it today for you to change us, to transform us, for us to leave here differently. And we expect you to do something awesome in our lives. So we open our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. And that in Jesus' time, the Pharisee would have been considered a good guy. He was like, he, he was, you know, he was the popular one. He wore the white hat. He was the synagogue leader at the time. And all, all Pharisees were super religious and they did their best to obey the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. But not only that, they also wrote another book called a Mishnah, which would then allow them to, to or show them how to obey the Torah. So you would, one verse in the Torah, they could write three, four, five chapters on how to obey that one verse. I mean, these guys, they, they lived by the book. They lived by every, all these different things. That doesn't sound fun to me, but they did it. Or they, they tried to anyway. However, a tax collector was considered the scum of the earth. And I'll tell you why. He was considered the scum of the earth because he was employed by the pagan Romans. 
So you had the Jews and then you had the pagan Romans who were occupying Jerusalem at the time. And this Jewish tax collector was employed by the, by the Romans. And so it, it, but then it went even further because the tax collector, many times, if he, if he wanted, you know what, I'm going to need a boat next summer. So he just would charge a little extra on the taxes on top of whatever he needed to. And then he could, he could keep, though. It was his perk, his, how, what he wanted to do. So, you know, hey, my, my wife's birthday's coming up. I'm going to just charge a little extra and get her a nice little necklace. And they knew that. How many know that's not going to really put you in a good position with people who know that? So this was the tax collector. He was a villain. He's the one who wore the black hat. The Pharisee wore the white hat. If you had been a good Jew listening to Jesus, when he mentioned the Pharisee, you, you would have cheered. He was the good guy. You've been in those, in those stories where they mention, the, they mention the bad guy and everyone goes, you mentioned a good guy, everyone goes, that's what was happening. Well, I don't know if it was, but that's what I think was happening. The Bible is silent on that, on the boos and the yeas. But this is the story. So these Jews are listening to this. But Jesus is always full of surprises. He doesn't do things the way that we think he ought to do them. And he introduces a good guy and a bad guy. But by the time he finishes the story, the parable, the good guy has become the bad guy. And the bad guy has become the good guy. And that's what we're going to look at today. I want to share with you, I came across a, um, a Baptist preacher's take on this parable. He, he rewrote this parable um, to fit modern times, and I would suspect possibly his church. And I want you to hear what he wrote. And he titled it this, The Parable of the Deacon and the Drug Pusher. <laughs> it hadn't even started, and it's good. So here we go. As Baptist Bob walked into the church one Sunday morning, he was disgusted to see Larry Lowlife there. For Larry was a drug pusher who had gotten out of jail. Now, Bob warned some of the ushers to keep a close watch on Larry because he was a no-good crook and scoundrel. Before the offering, it was Bob's time to pray. He walked proudly to the microphone and began to pray using his religious tone of voice. And he said, Heavenly Father, I don't know if he had a British accent, but that's what I think he did. Heavenly Father, I thank thee that I've been a deacon in this church for 20 years. I even remember when I built this building using my own two hands. And I thank thee that I haven't missed a single Sunday for over 10 years. There were times, O oh Lord, when I was sick, but I came anyway. And Father, thou knowest I used to sing in the choir until I was persecuted by the song leader who wouldn't sing my style of music. But I endured persecution, Jesus, just like thou didst. Thou hast blessed me financially, so I have been able to give much more than 10%. I thank thee that I'm morally pure, for I don't drink. I don't cuss on Sundays. I don't smoke unfiltered cigarettes. I don't use drugs or sell them like someone who is among us today. Lord, we need more people just like me in church. And Lord, help everyone to come out tomorrow night at 7 p.m. at Oak Park Field to watch our church softball team beat the Methodists again. And bless the gift and bless the giver today as we take the offering. Amen. After napping through most of the sermon, Baptist Bob strolled out of the church. 
feeling good about himself because he had made it through another Sunday. He liked leaving church because he didn't have to think about God again until the next Sunday. Meanwhile, Larry Lowlife was slouched on the back pew. After hearing the message about God's forgiveness, he slipped to his knees and he began to pray, holding his face in his hands. He sobbed quietly. God, I'm the dirtiest sinner in this town. I'm so sorry. I don't deserve it. But is there any way you can wash away my filthy mistakes? Please, God, I need you. I tell you, it was Larry now new life, not Baptist Bob, who went home that day right with God. For he who struts his stuff before God will eventually be slapped down. But when you admit you were like dirt compared to God's purity, he'll pick you up and he'll clean you up. So as we continue in this message today, remember this is a message that Jesus is kind of getting you a little headlock today. My question to you is, are you more like Bob or Larry in this story? Are you like the tax collector or are you like the Pharisee? As we look at these words of Jesus, I want, to, uh, I want to encourage us to answer these three questions today. Why did you come to church? What is your attitude in church? And how will you go home from church? Not like how, like the car, but how will you? Go home from church. So let's look at the first one. Why did you come to church? That's a, that's a good question. In the parable, both the Pharisee and the tax, tax collector went to the temple to Jerusalem to pray. They went to church. They were both there. They both came. But when you examine their actions and their attitudes, you discover they went for actually two totally different reasons. They went to the same place for two totally different reasons. So why did you come today? Why are you here? Maybe you came for the first reason that we find in these two occasions. Did you come to be seen? The Pharisee came to be seen. That's why he was there. Obviously, he was there for others to see him, to see how good he was, to see how perfect he was, to see, see, I'm at church today. To him, it was a public performance, and he treated it as one. He came in, he wore the right clothes, he, he worried about what he was going to wear, and he walked in, and he walked into the, to the temple, and he said, here I am. And mostly all the leadership things that I've done, what I, I always want, their volunteers and the people I'm working with in that ministry is to know this. Your job in ministry is not to walk in and say, here I am. Your job is to walk in and say, there you are. There you are. But the Pharisee thought it was all about him. So he walked in the room. He said, hey, here I am, guys. The party can start now that I'm here. He's given much thought about where he was going to stand, what he was going to say, because there was an audience. When he arrived, he walked up front. He stood in the, in the right place before the people with his flowing robe and his ornate prayer shawl that says, I am a spiritual man. Get out of my way. It's just all part of the religious show for him. This was the Pharisee. This was how he walked. And the words he prayed were not really directed at God, actually. He prayed to himself. Imagine that. He prayed to himself. He was there to be seen and to be heard by others. And it's interesting, Jesus actually warns against this very same concept. In Matthew 6, he says this, but when you pray, 
Do not be like the hypocrites. And then he goes on to say what a hypocrite is. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. Interesting, the word hypocrite goes back to a a thing in theater where someone would actually wear a mask. And so they, on the outside, they looked like a certain character, but they weren't that character. They were called a hypocrite. The outward appearance did not display who was behind the mask. And this can actually, not only just the case for maybe some people in church, and maybe some people today in church, but it's the same even on social media. It's the same way. You can look like the most spiritual person on Facebook or Instagram. You could be pinning things about who God is and all this great stuff. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. I actually encourage you to do that because there needs to be a positive voice. That there needs to be salt and light in social media. And we need to do it. We, it's, it's not evil if we use it for good. Amen? Okay, good. And so it's very, you know, you can do that. But why do you put it up there? Same way in social media. Do you put it up there because it reflects your image or do you put it up there because you want that to be your image? But on the inside, that's really not who you are anyway. When you're preparing to come to church, are you thinking more about who's going to be there and who's going to see you? Or are you thinking more about connecting with God? Do you choose what you're going to wear based on what other people are going to think or other people are going to say? And I know, actually, the reality is that some people come to church because they, they want to use it for networking, for their business. Maybe they come to church for politically because you've you you got to go to church if you're going to be in politics. Or maybe, maybe you come to church because you just want to expand your, your, your social belonging that you become, you know, I'm a part. I'm a part of the in crowd. And I think what Jesus was challenging, he was challenging and asking the question for all of us who are reading this today, why do you attend church? I told you it's going to be headlocked today. And we all struggle with temptation. It's true. We struggle with the temptation of trying to please other people rather than pleasing God. I mean, even for me, during a prayer time or when, when we come up, I feel like God's speaking something. When I pray, my, my, my one desire is that I'm praying to God. My one trajectory of my prayers is to God, even if it is for you. It's not so you can hear my wonderful prayers. It's so that God can hear my heart on behalf of myself, on behalf of you, on behalf of what God's doing. There's a temptation, though, to say, was that a good prayer? It just is. That's just the reality of of humanity. Prayer should always be directed to God and to God's ears alone. It's kind of like the little boy. He was kneeling by his bedside with his mom. He was kneeling there to say his nighttime prayers, and he began to shout at the top of his lungs his prayer. Dear God, I've been really good this year. Really good this year. So please let me get a new bicycle for my birthday. And his mom said, son, you don't have to shout. You don't have to yell. God's not deaf. He says, and the boy says, God's not deaf, but grandma is, and she's in the next room. And all the, all the grandparents say, amen. All right, good. <laughs> Our prayers are to be for God's ears and God's ears alone. Now, the tax collector, he actually represents another reason why probably many of us are here today. And that's this. My question to you today is, are you here 
to be seen or to seek God? Are you here to be seen or to seek God? The tax collector showed up because he was in trouble. He believed God could help him. His body language revealed he was desperate for God to do something in his life. He had a, he, God had revealed his sense of unworthiness. He couldn't walk in the front of the crowd. He kept his distance. He stayed in the back. He, he didn't feel worthy to be there. And he focused on God and for, on God alone. You know, worship is not for an audience. It's for an audience of one. It's for God alone. It's for us to connect with God. It's for us to seek God. We come here to worship God, not so others can hear us, so that God can hear us worshiping together. It's powerful. When we come to church, our primary concern about seeking God's, should be about seeking God's face, not being seen seeking God's face. The only, you know, we all are susceptible to the applause of man. Well done. Aren't you spiritual? We all are. But as a follower of Jesus, the only applause that matters and should matter to us are those, or is that that comes from the nail-scarred hands of Jesus, that he would applaud you for your commitment, for your heart to please him and to please him alone. So why are you here today? Is it just a habit? Is it a part of your weekend routine? Maybe you came because your parents made you or because your spouse just kind of pressured you into coming. Maybe you feel guilty if you don't come. So you come because of that. You're trying to appease some guilt in your life. Or did you come seeking to connect with a loving, incredible, almighty God, the creator of the universe that says in Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. This passage of Scripture, listen, those churches that are, that are God's doing something in their midst, it seems like God is pouring out his favor on them, was found that favor because they did this. He said, if you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. In your own life, you think, God, I want more of you. He says, well, then seek me and I promise you, you're going to find me. God, I want you to do something in me and through me. I want you to change my life. I want you to, to alter the course of my, of my trajectory. God, I don't want to be like my past. I don't want to be like my parents. I don't want to be. He says, then seek me and you will find me and I will be found by you. If you want God, seek him. You will find him. He's not hidden somewhere, tucked away and laughing because he's not playing hide and go seek and you're like two inches from him and he's being really quiet so you can't find him. He's waiting for you. Man, if they'll just seek me, I'm going to come immediately to their side. Wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, if you'll just seek him, you will find him. So the next question I have for you to answer is this. What is your attitude in church? In this parable, Jesus showed two totally different attitudes that people can have. They can display even in worship. The Pharisee presented an attitude that said this. I'm proud of my goodness. I'm really proud of how good I actually am. In some instances, actually pride can be good. It's, it's fine. If you want to be proud that you're an American, then be proud. There's nothing wrong with that. 
You, you want to be proud of, of, of your neighborhood and you want to take care of it, then do that. You want to be proud of your yard and have a great yard, then do that. Anyone could drive by my yard today and say, that man is not proud of his yard. <laughs> and I'm not either. That's okay. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the Bible warns against this dangerous kind of pride characterized by these things, by self-love, by egotism, by arrogance. And this kind of pride is revealed in the prayer of the Pharisee. He wanted others to know about his goodness. So he bragged that he fasted. He bragged that he tithed. He bragged that he kept all of the commandments. Aren't I good? And here's how you can recognize if you have pride in your heart through this parable of Jesus. For one, pride loves to talk about I. Pride loves to talk about I. In verse 11, the Pharisee used I and me several times. He said, I thank you that I am not like other men. I fast twice a week and I give a tithe and of all I get. I mean, all those are good things. You should pray. You should fast. You should tithe. But if you're doing it because you think it will get you into heaven or earn something or somehow make you look better, those good things become very dangerous. The motive of those good things become very dangerous. The Bible says this in Proverbs 16. He says this, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Often in my life when, when it seems like things are being destroyed or there's, there's, some, there's turmoil in my life, you know the first question I ask? Is there pride in my life? God himself is bound to his word. If he says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall, if you fall or have destruction, I would, I would really check to see if there's pride somewhere. I see it a lot. People's lives are going good, and then somewhere along the way they say, thank you, God. Thanks for getting me here this far. I'll take it from here. And they take the reins from God. They begin doing, it happens not only in lives, it happens in businesses, it happens in churches. God begins to do something great in a church, and they think, wow, God, whoa, whoa, this is really great. I think I'll take it from here because I want to own this baby. And something happens. I would ask the question, is there pride? According to Isaiah 14, once the devil was a beautiful angel named Lucifer, pride filled his heart and he actually developed an eye problem. He said, I will ascend and make my throne with God. I will make, I will, I want to be like the most high. I'm going up. But God said, I don't think so, Lucifer, you're going down. And he cast him down. Some people are the happiest people in the world when they talk about themselves. I don't know if you've ever been in those conversations before. You sit, here, you, you sit down for a conversation and you sit for 30 minutes and they talk about themselves. Aren't those great? Aren't those so encouraging? You're like, or you say this, you're like, you know, hey, I, we were on vacation and we, we went to so and so. It was so fun. They said, oh, we went to such and such one time and it was so much better than where you went. Let me tell you about our vacation. You're like, Thanks. You, you even finding that people are like, you, you know, I sprained my ankle. You know what? I broke my ankle. Oh, uh, okay. Sorry. 
Oh, man, I got into a car right today. Oh, what, I've totaled seven cars already. You, you got nothing. It's like their stories are always better than yours. It's crazy. And you think there's no way you can be in seven car wrecks like you just said. You should be dead by now. But these are people that just, somehow, they just want to be the center of attention all the time. Why? Because they've got an eye problem. Someone said once, they said this, pride is the only sickness everyone can recognize except for the person who has it. You know you're thinking about someone else right now. But, but guess what? Someone else might be thinking about you. You might be all thinking about me. I don't know. When some people pray, it actually, it kind of sounds like, uh, now listen, I grew up listening to, don't, don't throw anything at me, country music. Well, hey, that's all right then. All right. I'll wear my belt buckle next Sunday. It'll be great. Just kidding. And I, there's, a, there's, a, there's a country song by a guy named Toby Keith. And so some people's prayers sound like this country song. He says this, I want to talk about me. I want to talk about I. I want to talk about number one, oh my, me, my. What I think, what I like, what I know, what I want, what I see, I like talking about you, God, occasionally. But mostly, I want to talk about me. He's got an eye problem. I know you wrote the song to be funny, but that's the reality of some of our lives. Another thing that pride does in our lives, pride seldom admits a need. The Pharisee, well, he didn't have any needs in the world, did he? He had arrived. He was there. He was the top cast. He gets to sit wherever he wants. He walks in the room. Oh, look at so-and-so. And he knew it. Pride gives a person a false sense of self-sufficiency. Have you ever heard the expression, well, I'm too proud to ask for help? When you're too proud to ask for help or admit you have a problem, bottom line, you're too proud, period. When you ask a proud person how you can pray for them, they're all, they often say, you know, I'm fine, all is well. God is good. They start singing the song back to you. Holy favor, blessed to God, hallelujah. And then they go, mm, amen. That's what they do. Now, that's wrong. I'm just saying sometimes what they're wanting to do is to show you that everything is good, even though everything may not be so good. They don't want to tell you that maybe they're struggling. Or you have those who, who always say, you know what, I'm good. Nothing's wrong with me. It's all right. Hey, this is great. And, and the reality is they don't, if they were to tell you that something was wrong, they would be concerned about what you thought of them. And so they're always trying to put on this facade of perfection and of goodness. Another thing that pride does is pride sees the faults of others. Did you notice the Pharisee was quick to criticize and condemn the tax collector, the, the guy who just was in the back, the, the low life that was in the church. And pride blinds a person with their own faults, but it magnifies the failures of, of others. A prideful person doesn't see anything wrong with them, but guess what? They see everything wrong with everybody else. What you're wearing, what you're not wearing. You have the right clothes. Hey, I don't, I don't, you know, just so you know, Jason, with a little anonymous letter, I don't really like the shoes that you wear on Sundays. And I want to be like, well, let me see your shoes. <laughs> just kidding. 
They always find everything else what's wrong. But they don't ever look at themselves. When you compare yourself to someone else, you're actually using the wrong standard. God measuring, God's measuring stick is not the goodness or badness of another person. His standard is Jesus. How do you measure up to him? How do you measure up to Jesus? It's so much easier. Listen, I, I've, I've done church my whole life. And what happens often is that in church is you, you judge yourself by the person in church. So you say, well, I don't drink as much as they do. I don't watch all the movies that they watch. And so we measure ourselves. With them. They're our measuring stick. And so as long as we can stay just a little bit above them, we're going to be all right. Oh, I don't, I, don't, I, don't live with, I don't live with anybody, but you're having sex with someone who's not your husband or wife. So we keep this, I would never, I would never move in with someone. So there's this pharisaical attitude we can keep that actually keeps us from really living a life that God's called us to live. I heard a story of a man who described a house in Scotland. It was painted white and the house stood out clean and bright and brilliant and white among the, the rolling hills of Scotland with the green background. It was beautiful. But then a snowstorm came in, and the snow kind of covered all the mountains and the, all the surrounding areas with snow. And when the man looked at the cottage again, the backdrop of the pure fallen snow, he noticed that his house was actually dingy and dirty. It was the same house, same paint, but what changed? The backdrop changed. It's the same way with us. Our backdrop is not one another because, my friends, I'm broken. You're broken. You're going to sin. I'm going to sin. Man, if we started trying to take care of ourselves with one another, man, we would be a mess. Our backdrop is not one another. Our backdrop is Jesus Christ. And when you compare yourself or whether you compare yourself to a criminal, you may appear to be morally clean, but when you compare yourself, Standing next to the purity of Jesus Christ, you see a different picture. And the Pharisee was just comparing himself against everybody else. He was better than the tax collector. But there was another attitude that was expressed in that service that day. That's expressed here today, I believe, by many of us. And the tax collector displayed this attitude. He said this, I desperately need God's mercy. He couldn't even lift his head. He couldn't even come to the place of, of, uh, of even wanting to be seen. He felt so ashamed. He pounded his fist to his chest, a spontaneous gesture of his agony over his, over his own sin. He uttered seven simple words with a broken voice that I believe God wants all of us to utter these. No matter how long you've been walking with the Lord or you don't even know him. It's these seven words that can transform your life. He said this, God be merciful to me a sinner. God be merciful to me a sinner. There's no ounce of pride in that. It's a total acknowledgement that I don't deserve God's love. 
God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You don't have to pray long, eloquent prayers full of religious words and say these and thous and those and have all this doctrine that you can spout in a prayer. You have to have a simple prayer that comes from your heart. My friends, God will hear you and he will answer you and he will transform your life. When the tax collector caught the glimpse of the greatness and the and the holiness of God, he realized how dirty and how filthy he was. But it doesn't matter whether you compare your good works or your, or, your, or your okay works. Everything you compare to the purity of Jesus is described in Isaiah 64, 6. That all our righteousness is as filthy rags. You know who else? What other Pharisees said that? The Apostle Paul. Paul was a Pharisee. He was, he was the best of the best. He was just like this guy that walked in the room and thought it was all about him. That was Paul. But he met Jesus. And after he saw the reality of Jesus, he went from, from now listen, this is the Apostle Paul. He had, other than Jesus, the Apostle Paul has had the greatest impact on God's kingdom on this earth. The Apostle Paul. Like, he's, he, he preached, he'd done miracles, he went from here to there and beat to death and raised from the dead and put, went back and preached in the same place he was beat to death. He planted churches. He, he wrote most of the New Testament. This man, you know what he said when he was talking about himself? He said, I am the chief of sinners and the least of saints. Huh. Sounds like the tax collector. But he had every right to say, hey, man, I'm, I, I've arrived. I'm the best on the planet. Get a load of me. Just be like me. He didn't. He said, I'm the chief of sinners and the least of saints. Even the good things we do are dirty compared to the stark brilliance of the heart of God. When you see God for who he is... You will be able to see yourself for who you really are. You are a fallen, I am fallen creature in desperate need of God's mercy and forgiveness. Now this will humble you in a hurry. When you realize that's the reality, when you realize that's the truth, then it brings you to great humility. There's a line from the movie Rudy. Of this undersized kid who dreamed of playing football for Notre Dame. I love the movie. It's a great story of resilience and passion and stubbornness. I love it. But in one scene he was talking to an old Catholic priest. And the, the priest told Rudy, after all these years, there are only two things I'm totally, totally certain about. That there is a God and I am not. And there is this place of humility that says, I am not God. He, he, is, he is so beautiful and brilliant and pure. And I'm not God. And once you do that, it brings you to a place of humility that he, he then can reach down and transform your life. Is that your attitude? Have you come to a place in your life where you know you can't make it another moment without God's mercy, peace, and forgiveness? In your life. 
Final question is this. How will you go home from church? How will you go home from church? In the parable, Jesus said, only one of the two men went home justified. Only one of the two. One of them looked like he had all of his stuff together. The other one looked like he was a wreck. But one of them went home justified. Guess which one it was? This whole idea of being right with God is this word that says to be justified. Listen, this word justified is remarkable. It's, it, this is how I, I, it helps me understand it. When God says you are justified, which means you are, it is though just as if I'd never sinned. That's what justified meant. So when the tax collector went home, he went home just as if he had never sinned. Justification comes through Jesus. And it can only be planted in your heart by him. He can only cover your heart with his blood and transform you. But justification only comes through the nature and the posture of this tax collector. And in verse 14, Jesus summarizes this main principle. He, he, he brings it all together. He says this, he who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. See, the world says promote yourself. Look out for number one. God says humble yourself and seek me first. Just like in Jesus' parable, you will, all of us, we're going to go home one or two ways. One or two ways. The first way we could go home is this. You can go home unchanged. You can go home religious and proud of it. The Pharisee was so committed to his religious observance. He was so proud of his religious performance that he went home unchanged. You know, thousands of people go home from church Sunday after Sunday unchanged. And they leave exactly the same ways which they came in. To them, religious observance is what it's all about. They're proud of their conduct. But God addresses this problem of superficial religion in this. Isaiah 29, 13, he says this. The Lord says this. These people come to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. They worship me. Or their worship of me is made only of rules taught by men. The problem with religion is it's primarily concerned about what happens on the outside, our outward performance. And listen, you can get caught up in this outward performance. Where hey, at the end of the day, you lay your head down at night, you think, did I do all the right things? Yes, I did it. And there's no examination of how was my heart today? Did I walk in humility? Did I respond out of pride? Did I, did I just say, God, I need you today? Or was there this sense of self-reliance and because I have a strong will that I can do what I need to do to check off my list? Jesus criticizes the Pharisees and he says this, and this is harsh what Jesus says. He says they were like whitewashed tombs, shiny and clean on the outside. But on the inside they were full of rottenness. Religion cleanses you. On the outside, it does. But only Jesus can cleanse you on the inside. Having religion may give you a little more respectability in your business or in your community. But if you're not careful, 
Religion can make you so proud that you miss heaven. I came across this quote that just rocked my world this week. It's a guy named Dr. Ray Pritchard. He's an author, a pastor, a missionary. And this is what he said. Without a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ, religion leads you to hell while making you think you're going to heaven. Wow. Religion leads you to hell while making you think you're going to heaven. But there's another person in this story. And I pray we all go home the same way this tax collector did, and that was unburdened. The nature and the attitude of this tax collector, he was unburdened. He was right with God, and he was thankful for it. Jesus said, the bad guy, the one who really didn't fit in, that the others would keep at a distance, that the others kind of didn't want them to hang around them. The, the others that, you know, I don't know, he's a, he's a little too messed up for church. Can he just clean up a little bit, then come to church? I, I, don't, want to want, I don't want to be around that guy. I don't know, he, he smells funny or he's, you know, he kind of smells like alcohol or he smells like weed. or he smells, what, what does it matter? Jesus said, that guy, that guy went home justified. He entered church so burdened down with a sin he couldn't even lift his head. But when he cried out for mercy, he experienced the liberation of forgiveness. He hadn't done anything to deserve it. Why? He, was a, he was a filthy tax collector. He had done nothing to deserve it. He couldn't brag about what he had done. All he could do was thank God for his mercy. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you feel a little out of place because you're, you aren't really a religious person. You know what? Jesus really wasn't a religious person. He actually blew up every kind of... Uh, Fence and line and separation. He blew them up. Maybe you've done some dumb things. Maybe you've messed up. Congratulations. Like the tax collector, you're the best candidate for salvation. You're the best candidate to say, man, I blew it. The hardest people to be saved are those religious people who think their goodness makes them VIPs with God. Well, I'm special because I'm not like that person. The easiest person to be saved is the one who will admit God, to God that he is royally or she is royally screwed up, totally messed up, and that God is willing to give them his mercy or he's a goner. You know, we must approach God in humility. If you want to receive his forgiveness, you can't strut in his presence bragging about how good you are and how nice you are. In Bethlehem, there's actually, there's a great understanding of this principle. In Bethlehem, there's a a church. It's called the Church of the Nativity. And it's a church that's built over the place where they think Jesus was born. And when you walk into the church, it's, 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 it's kind of, it's weird because there's this big church and there's this little door off to the side. It's 48 inches high. And you walk in, the, you got to, you know, for a guy like me, you kind of have to get down and, and grunt to get through to the other side. Originally, there was big doors and 
what happened, the Muslims used to ride their horses into this church to defile it. And so what they did is they, they made a small door. The monks made a small door. And they called it the door of humility. Because as you come in to pray in the place where the Savior of the world was born, you have to come in by yourself and you have to humble yourself. It's a great picture of walking through the door of salvation or walking through the door of restoration in your life or walking as a Pharisee. You can't get through that door with your flowing robe and your crown that you made for yourself and all the bells and whistles you carry so that everyone can see you. You have to humble yourself and you leave it all outside the door so you can fit through the door of humility. And this is the beauty of these parables is that it examines us. It pulls back the curtains of your heart and says, are you a Pharisee? Are you a tax collector? Are you a pharisaical tax collector? We, you might be both. It might be areas of your life that you're like, you know what, I, I, I acknowledge the mercy of God. That might, there might be areas of your life that you think, man, I am a stinking Pharisee. We're all on this journey. Jesus told us these parables so that we could be more like him. We could see who he was. He could reveal really who we were and that we could see how much we need him. And this is a journey that we are on as a church. We are on this journey to welcome the tax collectors in this house right here so that their lives can be transformed and changed. You know, if, if you're here today, whether you're a Pharisee or you're a tax collector, 3,000 years ago there was a, a man who has been an inspiration to me in Scripture. His name is King David. He was a murderer. He was an adulterer. He actually committed adultery, then committed murder to try to cover up his adultery. And he writes this tremendous prayer in Psalm 51 of responding out of the mess he had made with his life. And he said this, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all of my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. I grew up in a Christian culture where you always had to look like you had it all together. It's true. We had all the right pat answers of how everything is good, everything is awesome, big smile on our face. Even in Bible college, some of the most spiritual people, one of them, one night was, he was, he was so judgmental. It's like he knew all of the, the, the judgment prophecies, and he was always speaking them, like, to people. That's a good person you want to get away from. He was so always the best, and he always wore a tie. He always, he always dressed the part. So one evening... He was stumbling down one of the side roads 
running up to the college and he was so drunk. He couldn't keep up the image anymore. Out of our mercy, reached out to him, loved on him, broke down this thing. You got, you got, stop trying to look perfect and pursue Jesus. I've seen it my whole life through, I, I, all I know is church. I just, I've seen it. The most, most religious person is the most judgmental. The most religious person is the one who, who complains about everything. You change this, you do this, you're doing it because you want to reach the tax collector and they will chew you out for 10 minutes. They'll tell you how wrong. They'll tell you you don't dress right. They'll tell you worship team doesn't dress right. They'll tell you, listen, it happens all the time. And the letters that are written by Pharisees are never signed by the individual. But those who have, who understand that church exists to disciple you and I together so that we can actually be the church and reach the tax collector. Jesus said, I came, not for the well, but for the sick. So if he came for the sick and the broken and not for those who are all together, why in the world did he give us the church? Why in the world did he give us a church of people to be equipped? Ephesians 4, the pastor or the the leadership of the church exists to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. What is the work of the ministry according to Jesus? For one, John said Jesus came to destroy the works of darkness. Well, who, who is impacted greater in the works of darkness than the lost person on the street by your neighbor, from the person over here, by the drunk, by the stoner, by all these young people that are coming to our city and our, and our, and our state so they can smoke weed and they're homeless and they're all over the place. Wouldn't they be the broken? Wouldn't they be the lost? Wouldn't they be the ones that aren't well? And then what is our job as the church? To reach them, not to keep them at a distance so that we can have our church but to bring them into church so they can experience our Savior. That's why we exist. And God wants to do something in your heart and my heart so that we, whether where, where you're at on your journey with Jesus, we can say the words of this tax collector, God, have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. God wants to do some amazing things in our life and in your life and in my life. All of these teachings are to reveal who he is and who we are so that we can live the life that he's called us to live. Let's all stand to our feet. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.